Good morning and welcome. It is so good to be together at Grace. Uh, we are a Christ-centered community intent on proclaiming the gospel, making disciples, and sacrificially serving Jesus. And it's good to be together to worship the Lord this morning. If you are new this morning, we especially want to say welcome to you. We're really glad to have you with us and would love to meet you after the service. You could come up to the front, say hello to a pastor or elder, or step outside to the Welcome Center. I uh, also want to mention that uh, you can glance at the, the little handout you received on your way in for upcoming events at Grace, especially keep in mind, or not keep in mind, but exciting notes. Number one, we actually have a building permit for the Fieldhouse project that's going on outside right now. So that's, that's a big deal. That's exciting. There's also lots of missions opportunities coming up. Uh, think about those for yourself and be praying for those. And the last thing to mention is that we have recently welcomed three new members into the church. That is Sam Zarate, Samantha Harris, and Lexi Neptune. So if you see these people, uh, say hello to them and greet them and welcome them to our church. So with that, let's begin our service by reading from God's Word. If you're able, please stand with me, and we're going to read from Psalm 130, the first five verses. Psalm 130, starting in verse 1. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. Father, thank you that you are a God who forgives iniquities, and we know that it's so that we would worship you and, and fear you even. So, Lord, I pray that you would, we pray that you would develop uh, that heart in us this morning, gratitude for your forgiveness and a desire to worship you. Uh, Lord, we want to wait for you and hope in your word. Pray that you would work through your word this morning, and it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. It's a joy to see you this morning, Grace Church. We look forward to worshiping with you. And we're going to begin by singing, Fairest Lord Jesus, Ruler of All Nations.
for God and his perfect, inerrant, authoritative, sufficient word. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. You may be seated. And let's go uh, together to the Lord in prayer right now. Father, we call on you as the one uh, true God of all of the universe and all of the creation. Thank you that you have united us in one hope, one call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and all under you as our God and Father. Thank you for the unity that we share as your people who've been bought by the blood of Christ and given new life and a new identity as people who've been united with him and who share in his life and have entered into a relationship with you. Lord, we pray that you would uh, continually, because of these things, make us a humble people who desire to worship you, to obey your word, to prioritize each other above our own uh, good and our own needs. Um, would you help us to strive for the single-mindedness that Paul uh, writes about in Ephesians and Philippians and other letters, that we would share one mind, be united in one spirit, strive together for the faith of the gospel. Lord, would you allow us to do that? We, we, we want your name to be lifted up and exalted uh, through us and in us. We, we want you, uh, you to be regarded as holy and worthy of all worship and praise. And so, Lord, we pray that that effect would spread even outward from Grace Church of Orange to the surrounding community. Um, thank you that you have sent your spirit to convict the world. And so we just we pray that you would help us to be faithful in our task to uh, f pursue um, the discipling of the nations and locally around us, Lord, we just pray that you would be turning people from darkness to light, that you would be drawing people uh, out of death and into life uh, in Christ, that you'd help us in our individual lives and with the relationships that you've placed around us to be faithful, to speak of Christ to others, and we pray that you would be drawing people to trust in Christ. We pray for the churches around us as well, that you would be uh, working through all of the faithful churches that preach the gospel and who live lives of of worship. Pray that you would um, allow people to be moved by the influence of your spirit as your word is going out in all of these different gatherings and that people would be coming to find life in, in Christ. But we also, uh, we just want to lift up to you this morning all the practical needs in our church body. There are so many um, pain points, difficulties, some on account of our own uh, sin and bad choices, many because of your providence in our lives. And, and Lord, we lift these things up to you. Pray for those who are sick in the body right now and ask that you would uh, give them comfort and peace in the middle of that. Pray for those who are going through challenging times with family or other relationships and pray for your grace and wisdom. 
Uh, Lord, we want to lift up Eric and Keely and Ricemuller as they're leaving Orange County and moving to Kentucky and have already uh, become connected with a church uh, on the other side. We pray that you would uh, just bless them as they go. Would you allow them to be uh, an encouragement and a blessing to the people that they end up connecting with there? Pray that you would fill their lives with uh, strong relationships and good friendships in the church and that you would use them uh, for your purposes there in, in exciting ways. And we're going to miss them as well, Lord. So just uh, pray that you'd give us grace as we see them on their way and we're so thankful for them. Um, Lord, there are, there are many needs, but most of all, um, we, we know our need for your forgiveness and grace. So Lord, we pray that you would extend mercy to us for all of our sins. Would you draw us close to yourself as we draw near to you would you open our eyes this morning to see the glory of Christ um, as it's displayed to us in your word? Would you give our, uh, our minds and hearts a receptivity to your word? And we pray that you would continue your work of transforming us as your people from one degree of glory to the next as we gaze upon uh, who Jesus is and behold his glory. So Lord, we pray that you would be at work among us this morning, and it's in Christ's name. Amen. If you're able, would you stand once more and join us as we sing? My hope is built on nothing less.
the joy of singing to you, um, the Lord, the Almighty, you're the King of creation. Um, you are great and merciful in Christ, and we ask that your mercy would follow us as we live. Pray that you take the heart of this church, um, hold it in your hand, write upon it reverence to yourself with an inscription that neither time nor eternity can erase. Um, let unbelievers be granted the gift of faith. Let believers be built up in their precious and holy faith um, as together we come to your precious and powerful word. In Jesus' name, amen.
We live in a world of names. Uh, We name people and places and pets. Some are serious, Frank, Kristen, Alan, Emily. Some are silly, Fido, Scruffy. I heard of a cat named Pumpkin. I once had a pet zebra finch named Dexter. Grandkids uh, call their grandparents by endearing names, Grandma, Grandpa, Papa, Mimi, and more. Uh, Your name identifies you. God's name identifies him. Bible names, though, are different. Uh, They have a background, and they describe who people are. The Old Testament uh, celebrates the fact that God made his name known to Israel. Name, God himself, as he has revealed himself in his word and his ways. And at the heart of God's self-revelation is the name by which he told Israel to invoke him. Yahweh. It's found 6,518 times in the Bible. God, who is all holy and present and powerful, all-knowing, all-sufficient, the perfect God has given us this name. You'll see it in your Bible, and it will be the Lord. It will be Lord in all caps in most English Old Testament versions. Yahweh, God's personal name, it means I am who I am or I will be who I will be. It comes from a verb meaning to be or to exist or to cause to become. The first appearance is in Genesis 2 verse 4, which says, In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. He declared this name to Moses when he spoke to him out of the burning bush. And Moses asked God what he might tell the people God's name was. And God said first, I am who I am. I will be what I will be, basically. And then he said, and you see this in Exodus 3, I am the Lord, Yahweh. A name sounding like I am in Hebrew. In Exodus 6, he speaks to Moses and says, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. And Moses asked to see God's glory, the self-display of his greatness. And in reply, God pronounces his name. He proclaims his name in Exodus 34. The Lord, the Lord. Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. God was giving shape and contour and nature of his being in his name. He calls himself in that same chapter, the Lord whose name is Jealous. It's echoed in the second command in Exodus 20, verse 5. You shall not take the Lord, the name of the Lord your God in vain. You're to use it in accord with who he is. Not to use his name flippantly or casually or inaccurately he is the lord it means he's the absolute ruler it calls for total loyalty that that the lord's name is is indicating his eternal and self-sustaining and self-determining sovereign existence 
You should always think of him as the living, reigning, omnipotent ruler over all. Let's say you need to go somewhere and you need to give someone's name to get in the door. The name of that person carries the weight and authority of who they are and what they do. God's name is his self-disclosure, who he is, what he does, to be forever worshipped. And you see it in the book of Psalms, the praise pointed to God's name over and over again. Psalm 8, verse 1, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Psalm 113, praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. From the rising of sun to setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Psalm 145, my God and my King, I bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever. Psalm 148, let them praise the name of the Lord. Let them praise the name of the Lord for his name alone is exalted. And then Psalm 138 says, I bow down and give thanks to your name because you have exalted above all things your name and your word. Into the New Testament, Jesus, the incarnate Son of God, is the fullest revelation of the name of God, who he is and what he does. The will and the ways and the purposes of God revealed in the word of God. And Jesus taught us to pray, holy is your name in the Lord's Prayer. He taught us to ask in his name. And we're in Ephesians and we're, we're focusing, as, as this letter rightly focuses us, on the greatness and the glory of Christ and the essential unity of Christ's church. And we have looked, as we're in chapter 4 now, we've looked at one body. What does it mean to be one body? And the one spirit, the Holy Spirit, and one hope. Last week, last time, we looked at one baptism. How joyful was it to watch believers' baptisms last Sunday, to see such love for Jesus, to see such profound repentance expressed, a, a picture of the gospel transforming lives. And now, in Ephesians 4, as we continue focusing on our oneness in Christ in the church, we come to one Lord. And I want us to consider three questions about this one Lord. Who is this one Lord? What does he do? How shall we respond? Who is this one Lord? When we speak of our oneness in Christ, in the body of Christ for Christians, and how there is one Lord over the church in whom we live and move and have our being, when, we hear, when you hear that, as a believer, bells should be ringing and alarms going off. You should be thinking, the one Lord is the Lord God. And given the glory of his name and his glorious self-revelation in, in creation and in the new creation by sovereign grace, that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus he is God. He is the one Lord. He is the one master to whom all Christians owe absolute allegiance. And here in Ephesians 4 verse 5, we read one Lord, one faith, one baptism. There is one Lord. The Greek word is kurios. It refers to Christ Jesus, whose lordship as the Messiah is highlighted in Ephesians. 
In Ephesians chapter 1, four different times, you read, the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. In Ephesians 3, Christ Jesus our Lord. In Ephesians 4, in verse 1, Paul begins and says, I am the prisoner for the Lord. Kyrios is used 6,000 times in the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament. It's used to translate Yahweh. In the New Testament, Kyrios is, is found 717 times, 275 times in the writings of Paul, and then Luke uses it 210 times in his Gospel and the book of Acts. It's a common title for Jesus. It is, it is the biggest title for Jesus. Lord, sovereign ruler over all, sovereign uncontested power, absolute authority, the one with absolute ownership, that he's the one in charge by virtue of possession. He's the owner, the, he, the one Lord in whom every believer believes. Now, that's not the case for the rest of the population. In the, in the first century, Lord, Kurios, was used as a title of utmost authority in the Greco-Roman world. It signified power. It signified supremacy. It was used of the ruling class and the renowned philosophers and victorious generals and reigning emperors. The Roman Senate pronounced Julius Caesar Lord and God after his death. And then unparalleled authority over the empire. And, and it was applied to his successors. His successors were called Lord and God. And if you were following them, if you were under their leadership, you need to, to identify as uh, saying to them, you are my Lord and my God. Augustus, from 27 BC to AD 14, was called Lord and God. And so was Tiberius and Caligula and Claudius and Nero. Nero in AD 54 to 68, and Vespian and Domitian and Herod the Great and his son Antipas and his grandson Agrippa. They were all called Lord God. In fact, some of them demanded to be called Lord and God. You had to proclaim that they were the object of your worship and your allegiance. Zeus is referred to as Lord in Homer's Iliad. The demanded followers show everlasting devotion, absolute idolatry, but this is the way it, it was, and this is the way it is. The pagan world spawned many lords. There is only one. There is only one lord. And there is only one lord whose claim is accurate. It's why you can call no one else Lord, not even to escape death. The church rests on given truth, absolute truth, no guesswork here. Christ has central place that we, that's why we celebrate the Lord's day. This is the Lord's day. That's why we celebrate the Lord's table. That's why we call upon the name of the Lord who is in everything preeminent. This one Lord. This one Lord is Jesus Christ, God the Son. And he was called Lord from the time of his earliest disciples. In John chapter 6, 
verses 66 to, to 69, as a result of Jesus saying that salvation is by God's sovereign grace alone, it says that many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. You know what you do today, by the way? If you don't agree that salvation is by God's sovereign grace alone, you just go across town and find a church that, that agrees with you. But here, as a result of Jesus saying that salvation is by God's sovereign grace alone, many of his disciples withdrew and weren't walking with him anymore. And Jesus says to the twelve, you do not want to go away also, do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. You are Yahweh. You are God Almighty. And that's why on the day of Pentecost, Peter could stand up boldly and authoritatively and say, God has made Jesus both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. He is God Almighty. Wasted no opportunity to proclaim Jesus as Lord. It meant something. It was, like, it was like signing your death warrant. In Acts 10, it says that the word that God sent, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. In Acts 16, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. In Acts 19, great fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Romans chapter 10 tells us there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call upon him. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This one Lord is none other than Yahweh, sovereign covenant God, the Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 8, it says there are many gods and many lords. Yet for us, for the believing, there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. And what does this one Lord do? What does he do? Jesus Christ, the one Lord, what does he do? He saves. Jesus saves. We used to love that, that sign, Jesus saves, that we'd see off the, off the 110 freeway in Los Angeles. Jesus saves. Ephesians 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, every believer, in Christ, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins, according to the riches of his grace. He saves and he gives an inheritance. He gives hope. In Ephesians 1, verses 11 and 12, it says, In Christ we have obtained an inheritance. We are predestined according to his purpose. And we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. He gives an inheritance and hope. And he rules over his church. That's what he does. He rules over the church. He has supreme rule over every opposing power. And Ephesians 1.22 says he put all things under his feet, gave him as head over all things to the church, his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This Savior, this Redeemer, this friend of all the elect. 
ascended in the incarnation, ascended in the resurrection, made Lord in Christ by the Father. He rules. What else does he do? He powerfully directs and determines everything. He powerfully determines, directs everything. He is before all. He is transcendent. He is first. He is over all. No one higher, no one better, no one stronger. He sustains all. In his providence, Ephesians 1.11 says he works all things after the counsel of his will. Hebrews 1 says that he holds all things together by the word of his power. And this one Lord is at work in every believer. He is at work in everyone that he chooses. Philippians 1.6 says he will finish the work that he started in you. He is coming back. He is the Lord of creation and the new creation. And it says in Philippians 2, He is at work in you, believer, to will and do His good pleasure. This one Lord is Jesus Christ. What does He do? He saves. He gives an inheritance and hope. He rules over the church. He powerfully directs and determines everything. And He is at work in everyone He chooses. But the third question is, the one should be most pressing on our minds. How do I respond to this one, Lord? How shall I respond? I'm going to give you five indicators of a good response to this, Lord. What it looks like to surrender to Jesus and his sovereign, supreme rulership. Surrender to Jesus' sovereign, supreme rulership first looks like obedient followership obedient followership, discipleship, that, that, that those who are saved want to do his singular will, that you would wake up in the morning and say, the will of the Lord be done. You know, you wake up in the morning, you're like, oh man, my, my knees hurt, or oh man, I got to do this today, or I'm, I'm dreading that, or oh, I can't wait to go do this. How about if you wake up, believer, and say, the will of the Lord be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done. I want to do what you want, Lord. I want to look to Christ. I want to turn to Christ. I want to trust in Christ. You know, and think about this. If you're not a Christian, pardon for sin is offered only in Christ. There is no other place, no other way to go and get saved and, and, be, and be forgiven. There's no other way to be reconciled to God. You need to know this. There, there's a sovereign God. He's holy and he's perfect and he's righteous and he's good. And, and you are sinful. You are lost. You are depraved. You are rebellious. We're all in the same boat on that. But the substitute was sent. He sacrificed himself for us. He shed his blood in our place. He died at the cross. He was buried and he rose from the dead on the third day. You need to surrender to that one Lord. You need to surrender to Christ. Like We know love by this. You want the definition of love? That Jesus gave his life for us. That Jesus is a sacrifice for our sins, the only sacrifice, and that he saves, and that he sanctifies, and the good news of Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and coming again, can shape your entire life, and should. In Acts 4.12, it says, salvation is in no one else. There is no other name under heaven that's been given among men by which we must be saved. Romans 10.9 says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. 
is Savior and Lord that is bringing the nations to himself through the gospel to confess Jesus is Lord. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3 tells us, No one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. If you're a believer, you're not going around saying bad things about Jesus. And then it says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. That you're unable to to acknowledge Jesus as Lord unless the Holy Spirit has given you life. That you, as Jesus said, you must be born again. You must be born of God if you want to have eternal life. If you would have eternal life. And there is one Lord. You need to yield to that one Lord. If you're not a believer today, you need to yield to that one Lord. And if you are a believer, you need to yield to that one Lord. Augustine said this once, Jesus Christ will be Lord of all, or he will not be Lord at all. There's no halfway following of Jesus. Like, I'm going to be a follower of Jesus on Sunday, but I get Monday through Friday. That's not the way it works. You, You don't just get $5 worth of God. Sometimes my family really bugs me. We go to a gas station and they say, just put like a a little bit in just to tide us over to get home. I'm like, oh no, we're on empty. We're going to fill the whole thing up. You You need to have all of God. You don't just get $5 worth of God. Jesus said it this way. You can't serve two masters. Like if you're a Christian, you're under new management. And then he becomes the Lord of your marriage and the Lord of your work and the Lord of your conversations, the Lord of your thoughts, the Lord of everything in your life. You're an image bearer, humbly bowing before the God of the universe and living for his glory. That you would see all of life through that lens, that you would be, see all of life under God and governed by his word and driven just by obedient following. That would be your desire. That you are convinced of God's ultimate greatness and goodness. Your rebellion has been replaced by humility. You reject, you know, adding one thing to Jesus and another and saying that Jesus is just a little part of my life. Can add him in. No, but you'd be fiercely loyal to the faithful creator and savior and ruler of your life. Fighting enemies seen and unseen and to be taking captive thoughts to the obedience of Christ. Paul said, the prisoner of the Lord. The Lord is renovating his new creation. You got to clean out the junk. At our house, there is a long underground subterranean dryer vent. Those are words that should never be in the same sentence. I don't know what they were thinking. Long underground dryer vent. Subterranean, right there. What were they thinking, right? And every, what I have to do every, every, every few months is get out there with a very long hose with a vacuum and vacuum out all the lint that has been captured in there that won't, you know, makes the dryer not work. You got to clean out the junk. But if you're a prisoner of the Lord, you say, Lord, you're, you renovate my life. I, I can't do it without you. And, and what happens is when you, when, you, when, you, when you have an obedient followership in your heart and you live it out in your life, the peace of God, which, which passes all understanding, guards your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You won't be intoxicated by the empty calories of man-centered self-deception. And, you know, you look to Christ. You accurately see him in his exclusive role as Lord. 
Because the source of strength, the strength you need in the Christian life, is in the Lord. Ephesians 6.10, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Like, surrender to Jesus and his supreme rulership. What it looks like is obedient followership. What else does it look like? Secondly, it looks like striving for accurate understanding of his will and ways via the word. That you would be striving, if, if you really are, are acknowledging the lordship of Christ, you're then every day striving for accurate understanding of his will and his ways via the word. Now, let's say you're not a believer and you know Christians. Do they live like that? Are they obediently following Jesus? And are they striving for an accurate understanding of the will and ways of God through the word? If you know them well, you would know. That, that, that Christian, that, that would be, mean that Jesus is Lord of your beliefs. You don't own them. The fear of the Lord is the instruction for wisdom. Before honor is humility. You have this reverent awe that helps guard your heart against pride that allows thoughts to dominate and drive your desires. And you let the truth transform your rebel heart. Your wandering heart that keeps going off in a different direction. That you say, wow, every word of Scripture is filled with glory because every word of Scripture points to the Lordship of Christ. And the Word protects your mind. It protects your mind against the onslaught of the world and the flesh and the devil. That you would find ultimate joy and ultimate worth in the Word of the cross. The world calls foolishness. And you know it's the wisdom of God. If you're born of the Spirit, if you're a Christian, you're born of the Spirit, then you're feeding on the sword of the Spirit, and you're taught by the Spirit. And you say, I'm dead to myself, and I'm alive to God, and, and, and God's at work in me. As Romans 14 says, if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. To this end, Christ died and rose again to be Lord both of the dead and the living. To be absent from the body, believers, to be present with the Lord. Jesus is Lord of all. And you look around. What, you, what do you see? You see people wrongly lording it over others, demanding things, acting as if they're in charge. Well, Jesus rightly reigns as Lord over his church. And if you're a believer today, that means he's, he's Lord over your freedom. He's Lord over your growth and holiness. He's Lord over your heart. He's Lord over your joy. And over your despair. He's, he's Lord over your eternity. He's Lord over your choices. And over your desires. And, and if you have a heart transformed by the Lord, you're going to hold his word in highest esteem. How'd you memorize the Lord's Prayer? How'd you memorize it? You, you, you said it over and over again. How'd you memorize the Pledge of Allegiance? You know, or the, or the National Anthem? Or all those movie quotes you can just rattle off at a moment's notice. How did, you, how did you memorize those? You constantly dwelled on them. You repeatedly exposed yourself to them. And you marinated in those things and they're in your mind. You got to marinate on the word of God. You got to marinate in the truth. You got to meditate on scripture. You got to think about it. That's how you pursue holiness. I mean, we're talking about lordship. Lordship is not finger-wagging False lordship, you know, legalism. God is disappointed and mad at you. No. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But it shouldn't lead you to no law or no limits or no standards. Not, it's not this overly permissive non-lordship, which is license. You can do whatever you want. 
You know, freedom from one error doesn't push you to the other error. And it's not as if lordship is like uh, stuck in the middle, wavering between legalism and license. No, it doesn't waver between legalism and license. It stands above those perversions of the gospel. And it shows forth Christ's magnificent glory. And what happens? Pride will just weasel its way into your life. You don't realize it's there. Next thing you know, you're in this echo chamber of your own thoughts, messing with your mind. You start believing things that are not true. And what happens? If you're a Christian, the spirit sword needs to pierce your heart and pierce your mind. You, you can't go without ongoing thinking through the word, the life-giving word of God, meditating on it. That's how you are renewed in the spirit of your mind. That's how you gird up the loins of your mind so you don't fall apart, so you don't lead other people astray. You surrender to Jesus in his sovereign, supreme rulership. And what it looks like is obedient followership and striving for this accurate understanding of God's will and ways via the word of God. Third, it, it looks like relishing the nearness of God relishing the nearness of God. Think of this. If you're a believer today, the God of the universe knows you, loves you, and cares for you. That's true of you, believer. You look at your life. You look back on your life. You look back even years or, or weeks or months. You say, well, God's grace has been sufficient for me. He's led me. He's provided for me so many times. And he is totally acquainted with all my ways, and I'm not the focus, I'm not the fulcrum, I'm under his sovereignty, and he is always the same. I can count on him. You know when you go to your favorite restaurant and you, you order the same thing every time, and it's always on point consistent, and then they change hands, and it's not the same, you stop going? It's never like that with Jesus. Things change, people change their minds like shifting sand, yet God remains. Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. He's always with you, believer. He will never cast you out. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Think of Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. He's near to you, the God of the universe. And, and while he is near, there are some things about him that you will not understand until he comes again but Jesus is Lord is the, is the appropriate acknowledgement that sets your soul on the right path. The, the, he knows everything. He holds all things. He, he directs all things. And so Jesus is Lord is, is the cry of the one who doesn't have all the answers. In the fierce spiritual battle, in the contention that won't calm down, in, in the confusion that is caused by competing loyalties in your own heart, in the desperation of not having enough resources. It's when you give up and when you relinquish control that God is there. Jesus over all. And you've got to remember and acknowledge Jesus is Lord. His, his preeminence helps you cope. It settles you down. It settles your heart. In the midst of the storm. Knowing He is Lord. He is Lord over the wind and the waves. He is Lord over your wandering heart. And, and that he is Lord is not a false confession. It's not an empty hope. It's absolute truth. 
Surrender to Jesus in his sovereign, supreme rulership looks like obedient followership. It looks like accurate understanding of his will and ways via the word, and it looks like relishing the nearness of God. He is with you. Fourth, surrender to Jesus' lordship looks like humble worship. Humble worship. With your heart and your mind permeated by biblical truth is just driven to worship. And I mean worship as a way of life, not worship just singing songs. I mean worship as a way of life. You know, Philippians 2.11 says this, Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is going to be. Every tongue will confess. Every knee will bow to Jesus the Lord to the glory of God the Father. And it even says under the earth, those under the earth. Wow, that means that Jesus is Lord of the angelic forces, even evil demons. And they will be forced to admit that he is the victor. And they will show submission by prostrating before him. They will literally admit it. They will openly acknowledge it. They will recognize it. They will proclaim it. And believer, you get to do that every day out of love. For the one who first loved you. Is that not awesome? You surrender to Jesus, the sovereign, supreme rulership. It looks like obedient followership and accurately understanding his will and ways via the word and relishing his nearness and humbly worshiping him. And then fifth, it looks like defying idolatry. It looks like defying idolatry and intolerantly living to proclaim Christ as Lord intolerantly living to proclaim Christ as Lord. That if you're a tender-hearted Christian, you'll be intolerant of anything that might draw you away or someone else away from Christ. That we're to love the Lord, not the world. Don't follow the world above the Lord. Don't let the world push you into its mold. Don't be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In 1 John 2, it says, do not love the world. It goes on to say, the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God remains forever. Eternal life. Eternal life. And you're in the middle right now of this battle. We're all in it, between the seen and the unseen. Things that are seen are temporary. The things that are unseen are eternal. But you have eyes and ears and appetites. And you get caught up. And the unseen gets pushed out of the picture. It's like when you zoom in, but you can't zoom out. You get stuck. Think with me of Job and David. Think about both of them at the same time. Job and David. Two men who went through a lot. Job due to the providence of God. David due to his sin. And they both cry out to God. And they are both saying all kinds of things to God. You might read what Job and David said at times and go, Why are they saying that to God? Is that inappropriate that they're saying that to God? Well, here's what you need to know. They cried out to God. 
They were defiantly rejecting idols and crying out and pouring their hearts out and saying all kinds of things to the only holy God. They were praying to the only Lord. They were defying the world. But people, including us, it happens, does it not? We're happy to add Jesus onto an already full agenda. It's like adding guac on the side. You want guac with that? You want, you want some Jesus with that too? You, you want to live your life like a pagan but then throw on some Jesus, wear a cross maybe? Tell people you're a Christian but live like hell? You know what? what? Happy to give him a, a cameo appearance? Let me tell you what people can't stand. People can't stand a vocalized center stage rulership of Jesus in a believer's life. And some Christians can't stand that because it ruins their fun because to them, life's all about fun. That way that seems right to man truly leads to death. Only in Christ is their life. Think with me about first century Christians. They were saying Jesus is Lord, just like we say Jesus is Lord. Except their proclamation of Jesus is Lord had a bit more weight on it than our thin proclamation of Jesus as Lord. See, first century Christians, they weren't set on fire by Nero and fed to wild beasts and put in boiling oil because they made a small confession or wore a cross around their neck. It wasn't because they thought Jesus was a good example that would help them in their life. No, they made a good, subversive, defiant confession and identified with the crucified, risen Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and they proclaimed and they lived out that truth that Jesus Christ is Lord, not Caesar or Nero. It's like if you stood up at the presidential uh, inauguration and, and they, they, you actually go to it and they say, we want you to come up and say a few words. And you get up there and say, Jesus Christ is greater than the president. Well, they throw you out. They see you as a crazy. Or let's say you're at an award show and they, they pull you up on stage because you're getting an award. And, and, and you say, Jesus Christ is coming back. And if you don't believe in him, you will spend eternity in hell. They will laugh you off the stage. Well, if you go to your local city council meeting and stand up and say, Jesus Christ is greater than the mayor. You blatant, bold humility in following Jesus as Lord. Now, here's the deal. Sorry, but you're not getting invited to the award show and you're not getting one of those big awards. And you're not getting invited to the, to the presidential you know, inauguration, most likely. You're not going to get most of these chances. Well, you can, go to, you can go to the city council. They'll let you do that. Put your name on the list. But how might that audacious, subversive, intolerant, defiant proclamation of Jesus Christ as his Lord play out in your life? Like where the rubber meets the road. Where, where the dust gets in between our toes. How about this? The next time you're tempted to lie, cheat, or steal, you say, I will not shame my Lord. How about the next time that you're tempted to waste hours doing nothing, 
You say, my Lord redeemed the time, so will I. How about the next time you want to bash someone behind their back, you say, Jesus is Lord. I'm not going to gossip. I'm not going to slander. How about the next time you sin? Don't just justify your actions. Say, Jesus is Lord. I need to make things right. How about the next time that you are tempted, you say, Jesus is Lord. Not this addiction. Not this pleasure. You proclaim and live the lordship of Jesus Christ. You will be at odds against every idol. You will be in the crosshairs of the world. And dare I say it, in the crosshairs of the church. Christ alone stands as the supreme ruler. And you owe him your absolute allegiance, your utmost reverence. Or you don't belong to the one Lord. And Lord, we thank you and praise you that you are the Lord. There is one Lord, it's, it's you. And we, we need to bow before you. We need to humble ourselves before you. We need to believe in you. We need to trust in you. We need to depend upon you. We need to follow you. We need to obey you. We need to love you. We need to worship you. We need to confess our sins to you. We need to con confess over and over again that we need you like we need air. And that apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you're able, would you stand as we close singing Psalm 62?
Sovereign on the ocean floor with me. 